นโมทัสสะภะวะโตอหะโตสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนโมทัสสะภะวะโตอหะโตสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนโมทัสสะภะวะโตอหะโตสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะพุทธังธรรมังสังฆังนมัสสะ
practice hard and realize a wiser perspective on the pain of life and, than others. Uh, however, nobody escapes it. In fact, it was the pain of life that motivated the Buddha-to-be to set out in his search of liberation. So that message of we're all in this together, as I said, is very typical of Ajahn Chah's attitude to teaching. He wasn't talking at us. He was, he was with us. And when I think about his kindness, his empathy, his generosity, it occurs to me that this is not something to consider as a character trait of Ajahn Chah. It may well have been in his case, so an aspect of his character that he, he was that way. However, I prefer to think of it as the natural consequences of somebody who has put a lot of effort into developing selfless awareness. He's practiced for many, many years purifying his heart and, and this is the natural consequence, kindness, empathy, generosity. We could think about these beautiful expressions of the heart as something that we need to be developing because we lack them. We've got to work on developing more kindness and work on developing more empathy and work on developing generosity. And to some degree, yes, there is a place for that. However, that if you think about the example that the Buddha gave for this path of practice when he talked about you know, purifying the heart is like purifying gold. You do the work, the hard work of heating it up and boiling the gold and then the dross comes to the surface and you scoop it off and it's hard, hot work. I've not seen it happen, but I imagine it's hard, hot work. And, and However, as the, as the gold becomes purified, it's not that you then add the ingredient of beauty, is it? It's not that you make the gold beautiful. The gold always was beautiful. It just had a lot of stuff that was extra. And so the purification of the gold is realizing that which is extra and finding skillful means for removing it. And I like to think likewise our practice is that the beauty that we're looking for, the generosity, the wholesomeness, is not something that we're lacking, rather that it's going to manifest if we give ourselves truly into this training into this practice. Yeah. As I was saying, Ajahn Chah was very, laid a lot of score by group practice and emphasized practicing together. And it could perhaps be thought that, well, this is a, this is a natural, this is what you would expect in a religion that, in a, culture that uh, is more collective and communal if we compare it to the individualistic approach of, of the West, uh, Asian culture in general and 
certainly in Thailand, is, is much more collective or communal. And however, it's not the case that all monasteries emphasise group practice in the way that Ajahn Chah did. He seemed to think there was a, a, a distinct benefit in it and, and encouraged it a lot. And there'd been group morning chanting, evening chanting, group meditation, sweeping leaves together, drawing water from the well together, building projects. You know, when we were building the, the big temple there at Wat Bapong and which took a long time and all the monks, all the nuns out there working together for many hours, day after day, you know, working together was not just something that we had to do to get what we wanted, but it was practice. And, and then when there were group business meetings, although I didn't attend them, I was a very junior monk in those days, I, I heard that he had this way of at a, a group meeting where you know, discussing policies and the way the community was going to develop and, and he had a, a way of inviting those people in the gathering that perhaps other people didn't want to listen to, he invite them to speak. He had a, a way of generating a sense of concord and, and harmony and, and presumably understood very well the power of consensus when, when a decision is based on consensus, then there's a good chance that it's going to hold. And, but to reach consensus, it takes a certain skill, a lot of skill. People need to be consulted, need to be included. And, and remembering that, of course, a, a consensus decision is not the same as a unanimous decision. A unanimous decision is where everybody has the same idea. And However, a consensus decision is where everybody agrees to go along with the decision. And everybody feels heard and agrees to go along with it. And, so Ajahn Chah was very artful in encouraging the community with a sense of cooperation. And he also knew that it was difficult and talked about how difficult it could be. When we think about the difficulty of living together and cooperative community, the challenges that come up, what is really, what is really going on there? Is it lack of food? Is it because somebody's stealing somebody else's stuff? <laughs> no, that's, that's not what's going on. At least so long as I've lived in monasteries, there's been plenty of food and, and generally speaking, people keep the precepts very well. And What is really at stake? What is really going on? What is the nature of that? What is the source of the difficulty with living together with other people? And once Ajahn Chah was asked, he said, what what is the most difficult thing in training your disciples? And he said, it's attachment to views. And this is it, isn't it? This is, the, this is really the source. My way. He could have also said attachment to me and my way. What I want, my preferences. I want it done like this. I don't want it done like that. I want to meditate for an hour and a half every morning. Well, I want to meditate for 45 minutes. And but we're all going to meditate together, so somebody needs to let go of their way. And this letting go of my way, this is work. Letting go of me and my way is our work. And Ajahn Chah was great at demonstrating the benefits of having done that work. 
is a translated letter that he wrote to our community in the very early days when we were helping establish Chithurst Monastery. And in that letter he talks about how he, he had heard about some of the difficulties. Indeed, when he visited, he could see that the hardships and, uh, that were involved and it wasn't the same as Thailand. It was cold and uh, some the physical labor was quite intense and we didn't have a lot of resources. And, and he was aware of the difficulties and he was also aware of the difficulties that came because a number of the senior monks were leaving and going off and starting other monasteries like coming up here or going down to Devon and, and he spoke about the consequences of when some of the senior monks go away and then the result is that the, there's a predominance of juniors in the community and that leads to difficulties with training and running the monastery and however he said you know, despite all the difficulties please all work together to help each other uh, this, this conscious effort to be helpful is something that he regularly encouraged and finding what, what is it that contributes to concord and harmony and how can we encourage that. So living together, yes, it's hard work. He gave the image of like pebbles in the bottom of a stream that might start off with having all sharp edges but over time the edges are are removed and the pebbles become smooth and this is an example of uh, he was giving of how living together in community even when things can be difficult even when we're with people that we don't like or have different views and opinions from uh, we can still use this as part of practice and the practice of course is is learning how to inhibit that tendency to be always looking outside for the causes for the difficulty it's this person who's causing my difficulties or it's the Ajahn because he makes us wait too long before we can start eating the meal or talks to the lay people for too long or he gives the same old Dhamma talks over and over again and they're not inspiring or, or it's the weather, if we had warmer weather like in Thailand be better and, and looking outside, we can do that and we need to do that sometimes and be idealistic and naive about it. However, the encouragement is to also look inwards. See, what is my part in this? When I don't get my way, can I handle it? Am I able to really honestly say I take responsibility for this, for this anger that I feel when I don't get my own way? And so how do we practice, how do we practice to become more proficient, more skilled at loosening this knot of compulsive controlling? Every deluded personality, every deluded ego is a control freak. Every deluded ego wants to be a winner. So one way we can begin to loosen this knot, one way we can begin to address this obsession that produces self-centeredness and selfishness, one way we can do that is to develop the practice of losing, being a loser. 
Who wants to be a loser? Nobody wants to be a loser. Why don't we want to be a loser? Because we want to be a winner. We all want to be a winner. We all want to win all the time. I do. I always want to win. However, where does that get me? Where does that get us? Where does that get the world? So if we start to see for ourselves, not just some idealistic notion or, or some judgmental opinion about how I shouldn't be this way and I should be that way, that's far too superficial. But rather feeling inwards and what's it like when I don't get my own way in a debate? If I say this and then you say that, then I say this and you say that, and we're both getting hot and bothered, where's that getting us? Am I able to feel that feeling of, I don't want you to win, I want to win? That feeling, that I, that me and my way, that, that's not an idea in our heads. That's heat. That's intensity. Am I able to bring the practice into the body, bring the awareness, bring the wise reflection, bring the skillful restraint to feel that intensity, to meet it, to really meet myself at that level of intensity and inhibit the impulse to have to win? Can I lose? Can I let the other person win? Now, not in a way whereby I'm a better loser than you. That's, of course, just another game. Rather, to really feel the impulse, me, I want to win. Can we take a deep breath, metaphorically speaking, find the space to accommodate the intensity and not project that wild energy out onto somebody else or onto the world? Let's not demonize the energy. The heart energy is just energy. Energy is just neutral. However, in this case, the energy is in, in service to the kilesa, to our unhelpful habits. Taming that energy, training that energy, that's, that's our work. So one way we can make an effort to loosen the knot of compulsive craving and following the impulse to always create problems for myself and others is to learn how to lose. Also to learn how to admit when we don't know. These days it's much easier. But it used to be. I used to find it very, very difficult to say I don't know. Why, why is it so difficult to say I don't know? Well, it's just because somewhere along the line we were conditioned to see that if you don't know then you're weak that you're going to miss out however if we don't question that condition if we don't look very carefully and just see this that's that's just a conditioned tendency there's loads of stuff that we don't know why would we pretend that we know when we don't know so that's another way we can learn to undo that tangle of self-centeredness, of selfishness, and turning up the heat and purifying the gold. Also, I can remember, well, I can't remember the details anymore, but I, like, I, I seem to remember that 
there was a time when I found it very difficult to say sorry. I know I make all sorts of mistakes, but being able to say sorry, I seem to recall that there was a period when I found that extremely difficult. Again, I don't know why. Somewhere I must have learnt that saying sorry was a sign of weakness and I didn't want to be weak. And yet if we're unable to apologise when we've made a mistake and we've got caught up in our kilesa and our unhelpful habits, if we're unable to make the gesture of apologising, well, there's not much chance that we're going to be able to live with concord and harmony. I'm going to go and live my own because these people are so irritating. Well, go and live on your own and maybe you find the insects are irritating or the neighbours are irritating. Life is irritating or can be irritating if we don't see that we're bringing something to the situation that is turning life into a problem. Another exercise that I would recommend is learning how to listen quietly. Listening, how to listen, how to listen from the heart. Not, not from our heads. The deluded personality in a conversation with somebody is very easily caught up in preparing the counter-argument or trying to sound clever or somehow responding or interjecting. So learning how to listen without interjecting, learning how to listen to somebody even though they're dying to say something, dying to contradict them or dying to play one-upmanship or dying to show off how clever we are, can we inhibit that? What is that dying feeling? That heat, that intensity, that's, that's me and my way. And if we don't see that, if we don't take responsibility for that, then we could spend our whole life being driven by that. In fact, I was talking to somebody recently about how, well, he was sharing with me how he had come to this point in his practice where rather than just looking at the thoughts he had about sadness in the world, feeling despairing about much that was going on around him, instead of just thinking about it and coming up with an understanding about why things are the way they are, he's beginning to realise the benefit of just feeling the feeling of sadness itself. And I commented that, that in my experience, in my observation, that's a turning point in practice. When we cease to believe that all of us is to be found in our heads, the ideas that we have about life, yes, the ideas that we have can be very helpful. The ability to discipline our thinking can be very useful for getting a handle on life and for directing our thinking. And the way we direct our thinking is towards feeling what we're feeling in a way whereby we take full responsibility for it. Really meeting ourselves there when we feel sad. Really meeting ourselves there when we feel angry when we feel disappointed or annoyed with somebody. Really meeting ourselves there. There's a basic formula for cultivating 
in this practice. Uh, one aspect is that we look at the disadvantage of being caught up in something, and then the other aspect is recognizing the benefit of being freed from it. And so with this being caught up in the momentum of the condition, me and my way, uh, then we look at that and feel the painful consequences of that. And then the other side of it is to make the effort to cultivate approximations of these beautiful expressions of the heart. The, the true, genuine, selfless expressions, that's the result of hard practice. But we don't have to wait until then before we can make an effort to, for instance, cultivate like the Brahma Viharas or the four beautiful dispositions of conscious kindness, compassion, empathetic joy, equanimity, and intentionally investing in contemplation on these themes and, and, and generosity, consciously reflecting on how beautiful it is when you see somebody who's being generous and and how painful it is when we ourselves can be locked into being mean. Feel the natural instinct to want to be free from that. And when we do witness it, to take delight in that. Like this afternoon, I, looking out through my kuti, I, I noticed two of the monks helping each other in putting some wood that had been delivered away. I don't know why they were doing it. Maybe they thought that the builder's merchant had left it in a place where it might get stolen or maybe it was going to get rained on. I don't know, but for whatever reason, they, they were out there in the middle of the afternoon on a quiet day. They didn't have to be, but they were helping each other. The, the big sheet of ply was, was too heavy for one person to carry, but they're helping each other carrying this sheet of ply and presumably putting it somewhere safe and dry. And, and that gesture of consideration and contributing to the welfare of the community. The more we engage in these approximations, I would suggest, the more susceptible that we are to the natural emanation of these beautiful qualities. So thank you very much this evening for your attention. Handamayangamagatayasadukarangadamase Sadhu